When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week in the red corner, it's Kevin McAllister gone very bad as Macaulay Culkin does battle with Elijah Wood for Mommy's Love in 1993's The Good Son. While in the blue corner, little Esther ain't too fond of her new mummy, but by golly does she have a soft spot for Daddy as she does a bit of violent usurping in 2009's Orphan. Come on down here. Behind his smile lies a secret. Here, my two of them, so we can be brothers. Hey, Mark, come on, let's go. Where are we going? Behind his eyes lies a plan. Who is he? Mr. Highway. Wow. What are you going to do with it? And behind the image of a good son. Coming? So what are you guys up to out there? Sorry, Mom. Top secret. Lies the terrifying truth. Say goodbye. No! Adopting an older child is not an easy decision. My name is Esther. And why aren't you down at the party? I've never really seen the point of it. I guess I'm different. There's nothing wrong with being different, you know. You seem to have made quite a connection. This is our new student, and I'd like you all to make her feel very welcome today. Oh, look. Little Bo Peep texts me. She wants her outfit back. <laughs> Esther, what are you doing? I think there's something wrong with Esther. It's a killer kid's face-off in today's fight to the death. So, let battle commence. It's Clash of the Titles. Hello, Clash Butters. I feel sorry for you, Chris. You just don't know how to have fun. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Chris Tilly. And that is it for today. Vicky is still away on her holes in Croatia. And I do know that I say this every time she's away, but I'm like the boy who cried wolf. Genuinely this week, she is gutted to be missing these films. She is. She is. We've talked about doing this pairing for a while. And um, we, we thought we'd tie it in with the release of the Orphan sequel that's sort of come out of nowhere and seemed to be made years ago and is out, I believe, the day after our Orphan show goes live. And so we're doing it in, in Vicky's absence. Sorry, uh-huh. Vicky. I mean, honestly, I was watching these go and she would add a whole different angle to these being an actual parent. Mom. Yeah, we really messed up. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's two guys with no kids talking about family relationships. Have you asked her for a winner? Oh, I haven't actually. Oh, Has she shoot. seen both of them? Uh, yes, she has. What's the time difference in Croatia? Uh, it's fine. I think you could text her. Yeah, all right. Uh, I'll fill in here. Okay, great. Um, I will say, just in case, we, if you haven't watched Orphan yet, 
Maybe go away and watch it before you listen to this episode, because I'm worried we will maybe say something about Orphan that will give too much away. So, the clue I gave on last week's show was, they're right, little terrors. Chris followed up on Twitter <laughs> with one of one of our strongest video clues. Do you think, yeah, mm. or weakest? Um, it was me sitting underneath a table pretending to be a child threatening to kill uh, my dad, Alex. Mm. Convincing, though. Convincing. Convincing, yeah. Having watched the films, it should have been mum, but that's fine. Yeah, it should, really should have been. <laughs> definitely should have been mum. Well, the guessers dropped on our Twitter at ClashPod like dummies off a bridge. We're also on Instagram at ClashPod and TikTok as well. Go look for us on there for behind-the-scenes videos and all sorts of other bits and pieces. So, Chris, do you know how many correct answers we got? Um, I've, I've been away, uh-huh. so I haven't been paying attention. How was Amsterdam? A lot of fun. Go a ahead. lot of fun. You know, went to a wedding with my friend Paddy, he of the normal name. Yep. And, and you saw Bawley, though. I saw Bawley. Hello, Bawley. Hi, Bawley. Mm-hmm. You're getting your mention now. Sorry, you didn't mention when we talked about weird nicknames of my friends. Um, and yes, had a lovely time. Uh, I don't know how many got it right. Okay. Uh, well, unbelievably... We had one correct guess. What does that mean, Chris? We na- we got it right. We nailed somehow between those two clues, we absolutely nailed it. Our winner this week with the one and only correct guess, long-time listener and recent winner, Frank B. Admittedly, he did have three guesses, of which this oh, was his third. Naughty. Three bites of the cherry. But he was the only correct guess. So your prize, Frank, are my copies of Home Alone 1 and 2 because I'll never be able to enjoy them again after watching The Good Son. <laughs> enjoy. This is a mad section today. Do you know how many connections there are between these movies? It's balmy. Yes, I said it to you last week in the pub because I'd had to pre-watch them. Mm. And I said, you won't believe how many connections there are between these two films. The only thing that doesn't connect them is the overarching connection, which I mentioned to you in the pub. Mm. And then you, I don't think we're listening. I hope you weren't listening. And because I think you were thinking about the orphanage yep. and you're wondering if you'd watch the orphanage. And I really quickly changed the subject because I thought he hasn't seen this and he doesn't know what I just said is a massive spoiler. Yes. No, I sort of vaguely remember you saying something about it that I won't repeat here, but it got lost in translation. Mm. So the- I'll say it now because we've done the warning. Okay. I said the only thing that doesn't connect these films is they aren't both about killer children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that was fine. I didn't give me enough of a clue because I'm a bit of an idiot. No, and you, were thinking, and you were busy thinking about the orphanage. Oh, so it turns out you'd seen the orphanage, not orphan. I'd never seen orphan. I'm so pleased. Yeah, no, it so was. Good. I, if you'd ruin that for me, I would be. I would be livid. It would be like sure. bloody Vicky with uncut gems. Agreed. So the connection section. Shall I just do all mine and you can fill in the gaps? Yeah, I'm going to do them really yep. quickly. Do them fast. All right. <sighs> A new kid entering an existing family. Jealousy. Floppy haircuts. Daniel and orphan and Mark in Goodson have the same hair. Mums are in hospital at some point. Dead parents. Mark's mum and Peter Skarsgård. Houses off the beaten track. Kids playing video games. Guitar Hero and on Game Boy. Therapists who don't listen. Pressuring someone into therapy. Using someone's trauma against them. Boys playing with weapons. Tree houses. Car accidents. Scenes in playgrounds. Making other kids complicit in your crimes. Hiding bodies. Dog and nun. Dead siblings slash mum morning dead children killer animals killing animals a pigeon and a dog turning off power in house frozen ponds people falling through ice putting a sibling in hospital suffocating or planning to suffocate a sibling in hospital kids saying fuck adults slapping kids trying to smash someone's head in with a rock uh tricking a kid into causing a car accident is the only one i've got that you haven't okay yes and as I said, the only thing that doesn't connect them is only one of these films features a killer kid. Yep, it's true. Shall we get into this? Yeah, let's do it. On Thursday, I'm moving in with the Colmans, which means today Chris is showing us how much worse things could have been for Joe Pesci had he had to face off against Henry in The Good Son. The Good Son takes the two biggest child stars in the world and pits them against each other in a tense thriller. So it's basically heat but with kids. (laughs) Uh, Elijah Wood plays the nice one, while Macaulay Culkin plays the one who can't act. Seriously, he's so bad at pretending to be a nice kid that the parents should have kicked him out after night one. But they don't, so evil Mac kills a dog, causes a freeway pileup, and then tries to push his aunt off a cliff. But she gets the last laugh, as earlier in the movie, Mac said he can do anything, even fly, but when she drops him over the edge, Mac very much can't, and we all experience collective catharsis by watching a child smashed to death (laughs) on the cliffs below. Um, And it's not his aunt, it's his mum. Sorry, I got that wrong there so yeah that's the good son <laughs> yeah sorry it's Elijah Wood's aunt yes it's Mark's aunt do you yeah. know both these movies I'm getting Mac and Mark confused in my I notes I see both these movies contain a lot of characters with very very similar names as John Mark Peter Henry they're all very very 
standard English names. Basically. It got very confusing. Okay. Well, yeah, clearly for me. Um, so, when did you first see The Good Son? It's my first watch. Totally okay. passed me by. And I was trying to figure it out because you were like, no, this was quite big last week when we mm. had a conversation. And I just simply, I had not even heard of it. Never mind not seen it. Hadn't even heard of it. And I think... All I can think is that 1993 was such a big year for movies in general that this was not on my radar. Also, if memory serves me correct, and there might be some gaps in my notes this week due to Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. um, it didn't come out in 93 in England. Nor did it come out in 94. It was snuck out. I, I seem to remember it was snuck out on video in 95. Okay, so it didn't get a cinema release. No, because of similarities um, with the Jamie Bolger case or the, the news you. around that, uh, they felt uncomfortable releasing it uh, theatrically. And so, as I say, it was just kind of snuck out. There was a scene, um, a pretty major scene cut from the UK video release even, which we'll, we'll talk about when I get to it. But um, So that's why you wouldn't have known about it. Fair enough. Unless you were geeky like me reading all the American film magazines, mm. why would you know? Good. Well, then I don't feel like I've got a glaring hole in my CV. Um, I guess I saw it when it came out on video in 95 then, because I couldn't have seen it at the cinema. Um, And yeah, I mean, I found it thoroughly entertaining. That was, it was, you know, this director did Sleeping With The Enemy. We've talked about Hand That Rocks The Cradle. These were big, entertaining movies of that era, the 90s. You know what else he did? Money Money Train. train. Which we're pairing with Money Play. Are we? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, So, yes, and I have not seen it since. So um, it was interesting. I don't know, seeing what's dated and what hasn't. And then also um, reading the stories behind the scenes, which I think I said to you last week. This is the opposite of The Karate Kid, where I had this lovely behind the scenes story to tell Mm. of a group of people who got on and had a good time. I said, I found these two interviews with Mr. Ian McEwen, and it is just a very cautionary Hollywood tale. I can't wait to talk about Ian McEwan because you said last week, you were like, it's written by Ian McEwan. And I will say now that that filtered through the uh, ignorant layer of my brain, reprocessed itself, repackaged itself and gave me a very different reading of this film right up until the end. Really? I'll explain when we get to it. Fascinating. So shall we talk a bit about this behind the scenes? Mm. We're in 1986 and shortly after finishing A Child in Time, um, McEwen was asked by 20th Century Fox if he would like to write a movie about an about evil, uh, possibly concerning children. Um, he agreed, but only on the basis that it would be psychological and not brimstone and sulphur. This is him speaking. Uh, the idea was to make a low-budget, high-class movie, not something Fox would naturally make a lot of money on. It's how you sell a movie to a major studio. <laughs> and the opposite happened. I mean, I don't think this is high-class. It's not, it's not low-budget. Um, and it did make them a lot of money. Mm. Um, so he came up with a script about a 12-year-old boy who, after the death of his mother, goes to stay with his uncle and aunt and slowly discovers his cousin is psychotic so that is what we ended up with essentially he said the people who commissioned it loved it but then the people higher up said where's the ectoplasm they wanted another omen so the script floated around for a long time it became one of those famous scripts that everyone had read and no one had made then two things happened Mm -hmm. according to McEwen home alone happened Mm -hmm. uh, meaning adults would watch a film that starred a kid Mm -hmm. and science of the lambs happened Mm -hmm. meaning studios wanting to release slightly more violent and extreme Fair. It's such an amazing quote. I don't think you've ever seen a quote where it says, following the success of Home Alone and The Silence of the Lambs, like putting those two movies and their combined success together to create a new movie seems insane. Yes, and yet it works. Um, And so a director was found, Michael Lehman. Uh, We spoke about him when we did Ethers. Um, And McEwen said, there's there's a couple of... (laughs) Ethers. That's how I say it. Yeah, I know. It's still funny. Oh, cool, blimey. Evers was a good movie, (laughs) wasn't it? I mean, it was good. Um, So, yeah, this is from an interview. I think there's one with the New York Times, one with the Independent. That's where these quotes come from. But he said, he said, at this point, I couldn't understand why writers ever complained about Hollywood. The people I met were as intelligent as anybody in the publishing world and very dedicated. I thought it was, the director was very bright with good taste. Um, And then he talks about, they did some, they cast Mary Steenberg and they did some, some work beefing up her role on the script. Um, by November 91, everything was going ahead. We were building sets in Maine. We'd cast two unknown actors of the leads. We had 70 people on the payroll. We got to the point where the money was committed, about $4 million. Mm-hmm. I was about to go over for rehearsals. There's nothing, I thought, that could possibly go wrong now. Uh, enter Kit Culkin, <laughs> um, who at the time, uh, Premier Magazine considered the 48th most powerful man in Hollywood. He had a lot of sway. Because he's Macaulay Culkin's uh, dad. But this was only after Home Alone, right? 
Yeah, this is one movie in, and he's already made that list at number 48. Now, obviously, lists are kind of arbitrary, and, you know, they don't carry that much weight. But to even be considered in that after one movie, Mm. that's kind of incredible. It's a long time, if ever, a kid had become that famous that quickly, though. I mean, who's you know, I guess Shirley Temple was a huge star. But, like, what he achieved off of one movie was unique, which we talked about, obviously, at length when we did Home Alone. So, I agree, though. I mean, it is mad. But also, you know, having listened to interviews, with Macaulay Culkin over the years. He was quite a frightening man. Mm. He was abusive towards um, Macaulay and he was very demanding um, in Hollywood. So the the idea was that um, he would only commit to doing Home Alone 2 or he'd only commit his son to doing Home Alone 2 yeah. for $5 billion and the lead role in The Good Son. Yeah. Um, this is what Joe Roth said of it, who was the chairman of 20th Century Fox at the time. He said, Macaulay's father was an actor and wants to make sure his son gets the opportunity uh, to play as wide a range of roles as possible. He wants to be very careful with Macaulay's career. He doesn't want Macaulay just to be the boy from Home Alone. Um, but that's, this caused uproar behind the scenes because casting Macaulay meant there'd be a year's delay to the film mm-hmm. uh, because they were both winter shoots and Home Alone was going to go first. So they lost Mary Steenburgen from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fox was happy to say yes. Uh, they didn't want to lose their um, golden goose. Um, Michael Lehman was not happy, the director. He was livid that the Culkins had been sent the script without his knowledge. And after testing Macaulay, was convinced he was wrong. Uh, he apparently wanted someone physically larger, more powerful, and maybe a little more complex, uh, McEwen said. Um, I'm uh, sensing you're not a huge fan of Culkin in this movie. I'm just, hey, I'm just giving you the quotes here. Okay. Um, I'm going back to something you said at the start. You seem to be a little bit, okay, fine. Well, hold off. He's not my favourite part of it. Um, Another source at the time said, Mac can't act, he just mimics. And that isn't what this movie needs. Mm. Um, I hadn't considered that, actually. The idea of the cousin being a slightly bigger built kid mm -hmm. could have actually been a lot more menacing than two stick thing. (laughs) <laughs> little little runts. Yeah. I mean, and I say that as a runt myself at that age. Sure. But little runts. But bullies were always the bigger kids, weren't they? They were always the bigger kids, yeah. in my experience. But then again, it's different, you know. It's that old age-old thing. It's like, well, obviously a big kid would be more physically menacing to Elijah Wood. Yeah. But actually, no, having someone the same build, if not slighter than him might actually be slightly scarier and more mm. menacing, the idea that even without the physical strength, he could still dominate. Agreed. But then he'd have to be convincing. <laughs> I'm sentencing again. <laughs> yeah. OK. Look, we could go down the list of, of evil kid movies, and I think, I think it's one of the worst uh, performances of an evil kid. There's some good moments, but just generally, I don't buy him. I mean, I didn't buy him through most of Home Alone. Mm. He's well, just cute. Wait until my uh, my weird Ian McEwan theory okay. manifests. I'm excited for that. Uh, so the delay cost three million, and there were casualties. Mark uh, Michael Lehman um, left the project. Um, uh, Culkin uh, was now insisting that his daughter Quinn be cast in the movie too. He vetted the new director. It was him who picked Joe Rubin, who, as we said, had come off the back of um, Sleeping with the Enemy, had a hit with that. And the budget soared from $12 million to $20 million. So McEwan and Rubin, they got on fine mm. to begin with. Um, he's a commercial director, McEwen says. His ideas uh, did simplify things a little. Uh, work was done now in the McCordy role, and I felt some of the strangeness was under threat, so we lost maybe a weirder kid. Yeah, he wanted it more, much more mainstream, didn't he, Joe Rubin? He was a much more mainstream director, I think is the word that mm. Ian McEwen uses, and yep. so a lot of the subtlety of the script, that's what he was forced to take out. He also lost a subplot about trying to save the local beach that he was apparently very upset about. <laughs> I'm not that upset yeah, about that. Fine. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, fine. It? I it can just, deal with that. Then, yes. yeah. Yeah. It sounds very much like a subplot. Uh, but he said, we came up with a much better ending together. Um, the studio said they were extremely happy. That was in the first half of 92. Then things turned nasty. In August, McEwen noticed his phone calls were not being returned. And Ruben, he found out, had employed another scriptwriter who was a chum of his, as McEwen puts it. I was extremely angry. There was, uh, there was, this was year five of trying to get this thing off the ground. We'd had all these near misses. And just as it went into pre-production, I found found myself basically sacked from my own script. Naturally, when somebody who's been a guest in your house and who you've worked closely with then edges you off and doesn't have the courage to phone you, they tend to shrink in your estimation. By any standard of behaviour, even Hollywood standards, that's pretty poor. He's changed his tune. 
I don't know why anyone would ever think that people in Hollywood are anything less than beautiful, wonderful, godlike men and women walking this planet. This is a cautionary tale, and we're, and we're nearly at the end uh, because that was the last direct contact. It is a and... shitty thing to do, though, to go around to someone's house. Mm. All the rest of it, I can deal with a professional relationship, but clearly, Ian McEwen has gone, come around for dinner. Mm-hmm. Come around for dinner, we'll chat about the movie, and Joe Rubin's gone, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's the bit. It's sort of that personal thing yes. that if you then sort of go, and now I fuck you. That's the part that's Yeah, upsetting. and as he said, and to, and to not do it yourself, to not have the conversation, yeah. it's it's cowardly. Uh, but we're just going on McEwen. This is just McEwen saying this. Hearsay. Uh, Please welcome Joe Rubin. <laughs> that was the last direct contact McEwen had with the film. Uh, the other writer made a bid for joint credit, but McEwen contested yeah. it and won. Uh, he was also, I think this is the independent, he was also approached to write the novelization of the movie, a prospect that filmed him with horror and despair. <laughs> uh Two quotes from him. He said, when I read that I've sold out and I'm writing movies for Macaulay Culkin, uh, that I'm prostrating my talent, I bridle. For one thing, I wrote the script when Macaulay Culkin was five years old. Um, But this is how he sums up his experience on this film. It was an opportunity to fly first class, be treated like a celebrity, sit around the pool and be betrayed. Not a bad experience. I like that. I don't mind that. I mean, it's true. Turning left when you walk onto a plane is a very, very, very different prospect. And if that was offered up by the pool, probably at the Mondrian, if it was there at that point, mm. Sunset Strip, gosh, love it. Bit of betrayal. I could deal with that. Mm. Um, so that's my behind the scenes stories. Have you got anything else, Alex? No, nope, that's it. Okay. Let's talk about uh, The Good Son. So um, we get five minutes of Elmer Bernstein music Mm. at the beginning. It's too much Elmer Bernstein. I know he's one of the great composers. It's a lot. This isn't his finest work. It's not. I don't think. It's not memorable in the slightest. No. Is this over the shot of Elijah standing atop the Rocky Mound in the Mm. desert? Yeah, and he's playing a bit of football and we're in Arizona, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just it takes a long time to get going. Um, he's playing football in the shadow of that mountain. Um, but it's this is a flash forward, isn't it? Or at least part of it's a flash forward because it's exactly the same shot we get during the don't get me started epilogue yeah. moment. And so it is. This is looking forward to where Elijah Wood is after all the events. Is it? It's the same shot of him standing atop. A I just rocky thought he'd outcrop. gone back to the same place. Okay, oh, so maybe. the start of the film, he's thinking about what's happened. Yeah. I think so. No, it sounds more interesting. Mm. It makes more sense. Yeah, it does. Okay, very good. Um, How do you feel about David Morse showing up? Uh, according to you, to... The most, one of the most untrustworthy faces in Hollywood. 100%. Yeah, I, I, went, I went away and thought about that. Mm. And I, I think maybe it's all the movies I've seen with David Morse in, he's actually a good guy. So... He has an untrustworthy face, and they play on that. I think you're, I don't think you're wrong. Do you? But then they go, ah, you should not judge a book by its cover. How about The Rock? You think he? You think he's going to mm. switch? You think he's going to switch on Ed Harris at the end? But no, he's loyal to the very end. I think I'm remembering it rightly. The Negotiator initially, like David Morse, oh, he's a bad guy. He's in on this, and no, lo and behold, he's not one of the corrupt cops at the end. He is fundamentally. A guy with an untrustworthy face who is always trustworthy. Oh, now you agree with me. I feel bad that I've said he's got an untrustworthy face. He's the fucking... Of all the different people, aliens could choose to represent themselves to humankind in contact. It's David Morse. How could you want someone with an untrustworthy face to play a kind of god alien? I don't know. I don't know how these things happen. Yeah. I don't understand Hollywood uh, based on today's episode. But um, so, yeah, David Morse shows up as the dad. They go to a scary hospital to see um, his Mark's sick mum. <laughs> You're not going to die, mom. I, I won't, won't let, let you. you. It's it's actually. I actually think it's a comedy cut here. Mm. Like it feels like it feels yeah. like an unintentional laugh to go from. You're not going to die, mm. mom. I'm not letting you. Hard cut. Dead. We're at a funeral. Yep. Yep. If Vicky were here, she'd be talking about fridging the mum. Yeah. Um, do you want to take the reins on that one, Alex? I mean, uh, it's necessary. You don't have a movie without him. Yes. So, yes. you know, she's not entirely fridged because we meet her at the start. We get to know her mm-hmm. in that scene yeah. where she says, Hey, Mark, 
and that's it. So <laughs> that's enough. She's she's still on screen. Yeah. Uh, so Dad, um, being the untrustworthy man he is, he rather than look after his son, he's going to close a deal in Tokyo to set them up for life. Yeah, it means he'll never have to work again. He can devote all mm. his time to Mark and help him Mark. He just needs this two fucking weeks, Chris. Mm. You're going to begrudge him that? This is two weeks now and then forever it's Mark's time. Well, let's revisit that once we've got to the end of the film, whether this worked. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, there's, there's reasons for this as well. It'll do him good to be around other kids. He's a bit lonely. He's lost his mum. He could have a friend yeah. in his cousin. He's a bit. He's he's troubled though, isn't he? At this point, Mark. He's convinced his mum is going to come back, yeah. not as herself. I wrote down believes in reincarnation. Uh, right. For which is a big swing for a kid. Yes. Uh, to I mean, I mean, he's not saying that I believe in the Buddhist belief of reincarnation. Yes. He's not sort of adopted Buddhism so early on in his life, but he is basically saying no, she'll be back, mm. which is necessary. For later in the film, sort of. Um, I don't know if it is, but I get, you know, this is how he's dealing with his grief. So it's troubling and he's troubled. Um, so he arrives in Maine at a gigantic house on the water. You said they were sort of out of the way houses in both these films. They're also huge. Spectacular. Millions and millions in these houses. Yeah. Why has... So I just want to understand the relations here. So Henry's mum, what's her name? Um, mum. Mum, great. So she is the sister of the dead mum. Yes, I guess so. Right. So it's only, so no one, no one is a blood relative of David Morse in this house. Or is that his brother who's told you him? You see, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird that no one has seen the others for 10 years. What sort of family relationship Arizona is quite far from Maine. Ten years, not a single Christmas, no, one sure. holiday. And yet it's all like, can you take my kid for two weeks? I know I haven't seen you in ten fucking years, yeah. but I've got to go to Tokyo. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a brotherly relationship. Right. Yeah. I think Jack and Wallace are brothers. I've written leave with brother. Um, so he meets Henry, played by Macaulay Culkin. How does he appear? He appears wearing a mask. Yeah, because he's wearing a mask. Hmm. He's not really who he says he is. He's playing at nice. Yes. But he's actually evil. And he appears in a fucking mask. Yeah. Uh, he's made a mask for Mark. I feel like, you know, you're saying this is because of his duality. I feel like they're going to do something that maybe Mark and Henry are the light and dark side of the same person. They don't really go there. Um, Henry starts off a little bit aggressive. You know, he's kicking him under the table. Um, yeah. Uh, I remember someone did that to me on my first day at secondary school and I was terrified. Yeah, it's a horrible. Like sitting opposite me, kicking me under the table, and sort of laughing at me. And I was going to sit next to this opposite this kid for the next year. What happened? How did it resolve? Uh, Kick him back, right? Do some. I think eventually I did. He was much bigger than me, though. Did you do some keepy uppies? Impress him? (laughs) I'm not trying to flirt with him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so it's around now, or at least at. 15 minutes and 56 seconds. I'm just going to do my immature thing here. <laughs> Please do it. You keep trailing it. <laughs> right, okay. And it's really not worth trailing. You know, when I've built something up and it's, it's too much. So- and on that bombshell, we're going to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And we're back. So, um, here we go. It's better be worth the wait now. <laughs> so, there's a point at which um, I think it's Mark uh, looks into a bedroom that isn't Henry's. It uh, looks like a child's room, a, a baby's room, but a very feminine room is what it looks like to me. And I was like, oh, Chris said this was written by Ian McEwan. Mm. I remember reading The Wasp Factory mm-hmm. by not Ian McEwan. But at this point, I was like, Ian McEwan definitely wrote The Wasp Factory. I was thinking of Ian Banks. Yeah. So, bearing in mind The Wasp Factory <laughs> is about... Which way round is it? Uh, I haven't read it since I was a teenager and it was very disturbing then. It's about, uh, it's about someone with, with deformed genitalia who either thinks they're a boy but they're a girl or vice versa. I can't remember. Right. But in my head right now... I'm like, they've cast Macaulay Culkin and he's this little long blonde haired sort of slip of a thing because the reveal, the twist is going to be that he's actually a little girl and the parents, Mm. because a little girl died, they've turned him into a little girl and convinced him he's a little girl somehow. Mm. So that was my first completely wrong guess at where this movie might be going. Uh, That is the twist in a horror movie I am so desperate to do on this podcast, but it's because of that storyline. It's quite troubling now. It's, it's, you know, it's dated badly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say what it is because it is a twist, but um, one day we will do this. Okay. Um, It's, it's terrible, but great. But yeah, on both these movies, because, uh, you know, when you watch a horror for the first time, you're like, I wonder what the twist is going to be. I wonder if I can Mm. guess it. So on both these movies, I've taken some big swings early on. Great fun. I like it. um, And that was my first big swing on this based on the fact that Ian McEwen definitely wrote The Wasp Factory. Yes. Mm. Okay. I'm glad I never read it. um, And thanks for admitting your mistake. No worries. Crazy High Treehouse. Yeah, fucking deadly treehouse. What is that all about? Mm. It's not dissimilar to the treehouse I had. Like really? We had, we had a really, really scary treehouse, yeah. In your garden? No, no, at the edge of the right. woods. Yeah, uh, yeah. Gipton Wood uh, in Leeds, at the end of my road in Leeds, uh, if anyone knows that Woo! area. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we had a treehouse just there that one of my friend's dad's sort of built. Right. And sort of then just sort of went, there you go, and fucked off. And it sort of always felt half finished. It was about six planks of wood. Uh, about 20 metres into an oak tree that we had a rope ladder to climb up and it wasn't dissimilar to them climbing it, up this. It sounds brilliant. <laughs> it, it was it was that thing when you feel you're indestructible as like an eight-year-old that you definitely just go, yeah, I'm going to climb this. Mm. Uh, but now you'd go, that was a fucking insane thing. Because you might fall like Mark falls. Um, Henry grabs him and then he says to him, if I let you go, do you think you could fly? He's <laughs> relating to the end already. He then pulls him up to safety and they piss themselves with laughter. Mm. It's adrenaline. Mm. Adrenaline. Then they're doing a lot of kid stuff that I never did as a kid. I mean... Uh, uh, Smashing windows in a warehouse and smoking in a graveyard. I feel like most kids did that, but that's not those aren't experiences I had. I was playing football. Yeah, my friend James Jolly, who I, I know I've mentioned a lot recently. A lot. Yeah, he, uh, he made a fake cigarette for us to smoke when we were about eight years old, which was like he just coloured in some paper, but he filled it with talcum powder. It's very <sighs> clever. So instead of sucking, you blew down it and talcum powder flew out of the end and it made us look like we were smoking. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Did you have those candy cigarettes as well? Yeah. What were they all about? Here's a stick of sugar to make you look like you were smoke. And I did. I used to. It's probably why I smoked today. <laughs> no, uh, the reason you smoke today is because of the T-shirt you're wearing. And for oh, listeners, he's wearing his Monster Squad T-shirt. Rudy. And then you missed out on our night out with Rudy in, know, in, in no, Leicester Square. That's upsetting. Um, so, 
uh, have a bit of a chat about Mark's dead mum and what she looked like after she died. He's so, just being scientific, Chris. He's just being scientific. He's fascinated mm. with death. Um, and we learn that his kid brother, Richard, drowned in the bath. Uh, not a good sign. Um, we have the dog scene now. A dog comes after them on a bridge. Slowest dog in the world. <laughs> yes, that dog, <laughs> that dog would be able to take them both down. It's the uh, John Cleese running towards the castle gag from the Holy Grail. It's like <laughs> it keeps cutting back and it's still the same distance away. Henry barks at the dog. That scares me. I was going to say in real life, not even in the movie. Like the idea of being that close to a. Granted, you know, it's it's about how they're reared, not about the breed, but a dangerous fucking looking dog, mm. and he's really close to its face, teasing it. And dogs don't like that. Yeah, he's good here, Mac. Mm. I'll say he's good here. He's uh, brave. Yeah. He, um. Uh, then uh, Henry goes to grab his crossbow. Which is just basically some medieval weapon he's got, isn't he? With bolt. Mm. Um, and he fires it near a cat yep. and says as he walks away, the sight's not right yet. And I like how the audience is ahead of Mark here, as we know he's meant to hit it and Mark oh, doesn't yeah. know. Lovely stuff. Um, some, you know, there's some, there's some bad therapy in both of these films. Terrible therapists. They're really, really bad. Oh, my God, yeah. Both of them are appalling and mm. contribute largely to the outcome of the films. Has therapy improved or have writers improved at being able to understand what therapy is to put it in their stories? Good question. Mm. I imagine it's more to do with the fact that they need, they need you to be so angry at the fact that this person isn't being listened to. They're just finding any profession that they can implement that emotion in the audience mm. by going, right, so we've got them. parents are convinced in this instance that Mark's wrong. Uh, Henry's convincing them that Mark's wrong. We need to pile on the pressure. So also a therapist, mm. a health professional, someone who you could go, mm. well, at least they're going to know. And they don't even know because he's that good. And we never really explore this guilt. He says, I let someone die. We realise this is just destroying him. And it's ne it, never, it doesn't really come back into the story. Oh, he's talking about his mum. Mm. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. It's, it's too vague. It's okay. too vague. And you've got, you know, you've got Macaulay Culkin wandering around, you know, trying to kill cats. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really figure on that. And indeed, that scene where he wakes up in the night and he sees the mum and then he mm. becomes convinced through no actual real reason other than he wants to be convinced that she is the reincarnation of his mum. Now, let's, let's break that down. So what is he saying? Is he saying that Henry's mum has ceased to exist and is now just a vessel for the soul of his mum or are both souls sharing this one body? No, I, yeah, I don't think it's one of those things. I just think he sees her... He's looking for... I don't think he's seeing his mum in her. I think he is. I think there he's just woken up and it's that thing where you might call your teacher mum by accident or mm. something, isn't it? And then later when he tells Henry, she's my mum now, which is one of my favourite bits in the film, I think... I don't think he thinks it's literally his mum. I think he does. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I think he's sort of convinced that this is... This is his mum reincarnated as Henry's mum. Wow. Hmm. That is a weirder film than I thought it was then. So have you called a teacher mum before? Sure I have. I, 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 think, I think everyone has, or dad. I was once on a... If you're claiming you haven't, you're, you're not that cool, mate. No, I think I made, the one mistake I made, I was on a, a coach trip to Hungary. I must have been about eight, nine years old, and I thought my mum was sitting in front of me, but she was sitting behind me, and I sort of woke up and I was like half-dazed, and I was like, I'm going to pretend to strangle my mum. And so I reached round the seat in front of me and started strangling a strange woman. <laughs> this woman was like... Rawr! I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember calling a teacher mum. I can remember calling another kid a twat when I was about seven. And the teacher said, don't, don't you dare call someone that. And there was a woman teacher. And I said, why not? She goes, do you know what that means? I said, yes, it's, it's the same as twit. She said, no, it's a woman's private parts. And the whole class just pissed themselves. <laughs> and it was so embarrassing. Um, so, yeah, that's my mum. Uh, close to come to call someone a mum. But um, Henry fires a steel bolt at the dog. Um, they bottle showing this on screen, don't they? Off, off camera, entirely off camera uh, murder of a dog. Yeah. It's, uh, Maybe for the best. It's the Gwyneth Paltrow head in the box thing. I think I've believed, I could believe I've seen that dog die. I mm -hmm. think it's sometimes more powerful. You know, what's more powerful? It's a scary looking dog, mm -hmm. but to just hear it go, 
You're like, oh, my God, I forgot how scary it is. It's just an animal dying. This is the part where I wrote, I want Henry dead, obviously. Sure, yeah, you're supposed to. Yeah, I know, killing a dog. Uh, and Mark's starting to get scared here now, uh, properly scared. And <laughs> we see a picture of Rory. Did you clock who that picture was of? Uh, right. Richard, rather, sorry. Richard, the dead brother. Rory Culkin in the photo. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Kit Culkin got him everywhere, didn't he? <laughs> um, and then um, Henry reveals a dummy called Mr. Highway. This is good dialogue. Promises to show uh, Mark something he'll never forget. Yeah, this is this is where I wrote down for the first time. It's Kevin McAllister gone bad. Mm. Mr. Highway, he's thinking about the end. He's had enough of this terrible life. <laughs> and then he throws him off a fucking bridge. Causes a massive pileup. And Henry is... Is loving it. Mm-hmm. He tells uh, Mark, stop being scared. And he says, when you realise you knew anything, you can fly, nobody can touch you. So why is this? What is Henry's actual, actual thing? So, like, is it, as the tagline suggests, he is just pure evil. I think the tagline for this film is, evil has many faces, and it's just Macaulay Culkin's massive face. Yeah. It, it sort of seems like directionless anger. Like, is there... Has there been written into this script a through line for who this character is and what he's suffering from, or is it just a smorgasbord of really bad behaviour that we're supposed to go, well, I think it's a just lo- an evil kid? I think it's a lot of stuff chucked in there. When you hear about serial killers and the narcissism, some of them think they can do every- anything, they think they're above the law. I don't know if it's as far as being able to fly, mm. but it's certainly believing you'll never get caught and that you're untouchable. Mm. And so I think there's an aspect of that here. But So it's that that is just underpinning the kind of things that kids would consider doing at this age, but then their conscience would kick in and they go, mm. but obviously I can't do that because people might get hurt. So he's basically doing everything a kid that age would do if they had no conscience and realised that they'd cross some threshold into being you know, never being accountable for anything they've done. And interestingly, this is the scene that was cut from the UK video release because they were worried of kids copying uh, Mr. Highway mm. and throwing dummies off bridges, which you can kind of believe. But, I mean, kids shouldn't be watching. It should be an 18. Kids shouldn't be watching this What film. is it? Is it not? Uh, I think it's an 18 on Disney Plus now. Mm. But um, so he threatens to... Uh, and, and, and blackmails, essentially, Mark, over this, over owning up for this. He says, you can't, or, or I'll tell them you did it. Um, he threatens to hurt his sister as well. So it's, you've got Henry threatening to hurt his own sister. Um, if Mark tells right. So that's pretty terrifying as well. He's obviously capable of anything at this point. And the next thing we know, they have gone skating together, Henry and Connie, their little sister. Mm. He thrusts her onto the cracked ice and she, she, uh, she falls through. Henry goes to help, holds out his hand, but doesn't grab her. <laughs> it's good. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's really it's good. good. Just holding it there for all the people around to mm, see. So trying, it looks like he's trying, trying to so help hard. her. But he's just holding it just out of reach. Uh, but she gets, she gets rescued. The mum's distraught here. She's standing uh, on a cliff again. I think it's the second time we've seen her standing Third, on a cliff there's edge. There's at least three times. <laughs> yep. Uh, and this is when Mark um, tells her the truth. Yeah. What does he get in return? Uh, slap and a hug. <laughs> the opposite of what I saw at my second ever gig. Did I tell you that story? No. Um, I saw Morrissey in the Croydon Fairford Halls, my second ever gig. And at the end, he did a Smith song, Shoplift of the World. And a fan ran on stage, um, kissed Morrissey full on the lips and then punched him in the face. And that, <laughs> and that was the end of the gig. And I thought that really sums up the Morrissey fan. I love you, but I hate you. <laughs> It turns out Morrissey deserved that punch. Now we know the real person. Yeah. Mum doesn't believe him. Mum does not believe um, Mark. So um, Henry tells Mark that his mum is a maggot food. (laughs) And uh, Mark claims that Henry's his mum now, which I thought was an awesome retort. It's a great move. We're just reading it differently. It's a great move. But I mean, forgetting how you read it, just for what it does to Henry at that point, because he's like, whoa, it's the only time I think in this whole movie even at the end, that you really see Henry back-footed. Mm. Well, thinking about it now, he, he seems real when his, when he, his mum finds the, the rubber duck and he said it was mine first. So we know that to push his buttons, it's someone replacing him in his mother's affections. Yes. And that's exactly what uh, Mark's managing to do here. Yep. Or saying he's doing anyway. Jealousy. But yeah, it makes Henry say, hey, Mark, don't fuck with me, which is very much like that line from Hannah Rocks the Cradle the year before. She says, don't fuck with me. And... um. 
I feel like we're copying and pasting that moment, yep. but it's effective. Um, so when we tell Mark he's put something in the food, <laughs> <laughs> this this feels funny. It shouldn't, but the sight of Elijah Wood ramming down an entire fridge worth of contents yes. into a food processor, yeah, uh, the waste disposal, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's slightly. I mean, there's a lot of over the top moments, and that's definitely one of them where, yeah. It's just, he's, you know, he looks like he has uh, lost the plot. Um, uh, this is when uh, the duck is found, um, been missing since uh, Richard's death. Um, but as I say, he says it was mine for it was his. So also this is his mask is finally slipping. Or he feels so indestructible, like it's an intentional thing. He's like, I don't think you can touch me anyway. So I could even admit to you what I did and I'll still come out on top. Maybe so, because nothing actually happens to him and he's free to tell Mark he's going to kill mum or he's thinking about it, which is why Mark attacks him with some scissors and the dad catches him and it's this another misunderstanding and mum wants to talk to Henry. Henry wants to walk and then we're in the, we're in the closing scenes now. Um, so uh, Mark smashes a window and runs out, legs it to try and save the mum because he knows that mum is going to be killed here. Mm. Uh, mum asks him, did you kill Richard? What a good response. Henry says... What if I did? What if I did, mate? What if I did, though? <laughs> uh, he follows her to the edge of the cliff and he shoves her off. So... Sorry, let me get the orders right here. So He tries to smash her head in with a rock first. Yes, he raises a rock up, but she, I think, escapes somehow, crawls out of reach, and then yep. does a runner for the cliffs. And then, yeah, he pushes her off the cliff. He runs at her because she's lost sight of him, and then he charges out of the blue mm. and pushes her over the cliff, uh, although you can clearly see the wire that she is attached to. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's a struggle up there, um, and she ends up holding the pair of them over the side this of the cliff. This is brilliant. Well, the, the camera's swirling around above them. It's, really, it's shot really well. And Henry says... I need your I need your other hand. Mum, mm. I love you. Mm. And she drops Henry <laughs> so she can save Mark. She drops her own son yep. onto the rocks below so she can save a uh, kid she hasn't uh, seen for a decade. Yes, barely knows. Mm. Um, but she knows Henry is evil at this point. She She's convinced that he killed his kid Richard. brother, Richard, yeah. who she is still in mourning over. Yes. He has just tried to cave her head in with a rock. Yes. So, you know, a few things have added up here. I mean, maybe she's looking at, you know, years worth of therapy bills. And so she's like, oh, mm. we can't well afford that, despite our massive house. Yeah. It all went on the house. So, so she doesn't want to help Henry. Um, I think it's the way he says it as well, the disingenuous way mm. in which he says it. It's not even like he's trying to convince her. He's just like, he's almost saying it in a way that is, mm. I know you're going to save me, but I might as well say, give me your other hand. I mm. love you, mummy, just to tick that box for you. And she knows. She knows he's going to do the whole thing again. She's fearing for her other kid. I suggested Georgina watch this with me. Not not a big horror fan. Um, she doesn't, tends not to swear either. But um, when this moment happened... Uh, I wrote down what she said. Oh, she, she said out loud, what the fuck? That's fucked up. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. She just couldn't stop saying it. <laughs> I mean, it is. Because it's Kevin McAllister mm. falling to his death and you see his little broken body on the rocks crushed. below. His body is crushed on those rocks. Mm. I mean, that is a serious money shot. Yep. Um, uh, which is obviously where the film should end. Oh, but my then, God, thank you. Yeah, we get this post-epilogue where... It's just, it's Elijah, it's Mark saying, oh, Henry is gone and the rest of us are safe. You know, wonder if she'd make the same choice again. It's all irrelevant to us. It's all pointless. It's all stuff that we're considering ourselves, which a good movie would let you do. Like, the minute you've seen that, you're like, whoa, what about that decision she yes. made? Like, let's talk about it. Let's imagine that. That's a hell of a decision. What we don't need is another kid going, what about that decision, huh? Mm. Whoa, what do you think, though? Would mm. she have done it again? You're like, I'm thinking that. It's a poor, it's a poor um, choice to end the movie. Look at, look at the emoji that I, I did vomit face. <laughs> these are my notes these days. That's vomit and you, face. And you've, you've highlighted vomit face <laughs> just in case you forget to yeah. say it. Yep. Um, so uh, let's do the bits and bobs. Good. Um, what's your favourite scene, Alex? Cliffhanger. Me too. Yep. <laughs> uh, who's your most valuable whatever? Uh, well, here we're going to differ. Okay. I'm going with Macaulay Kilkin. Okay. Oh, uh, I like Macaulay it. Macaulay Kilkin. That's good. Because he kills his own kin. He's Macaulay Kilkin. It works on so many fucking levels. Uh, I honestly, I, I'd never seen him in a film like this, and I think he's great. Um, 
I just think it's, you know, it's fun watching evil Kevin McAllister, which is probably not what anyone making this movie mm. wanted, but now watching it, you know, 20 years, 30 years uh, after it was made, mm. uh, it's kind of fun to sort of go, oh, well, that's what that would be like if he was yeah. actually evil. So, yeah, I find him fun. Who else are you going for? Who's yours then? I, well, I can't, I, I can't believe you, Elijah, wouldn't, because I, Elijah, would. <laughs> yeah, I think he's good. I think he sells it. I think he's a, a much better actor. Yeah. Um... But it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, me picking De Niro and you picking Pacino when we sure. do Heat. Sure. It's fine. It's De Niro, yeah. <laughs> um, and if you could change anything, what would you change? Uh, the epilogue we just talked about. Yes. Henry is gone and the rest of us are safe, but sometimes, late at night, I find myself thinking not about Henry. Who talks like this in the first place? I find myself thinking not about Henry, but about Susan and wondering if she had to do it over. Would she make the same choice? I guess I'll always wonder, but I know I'll never ask. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Mm. I mean, like, just like a, a, a terrible sentence, full stop, and completely unnecessary. Yes, making me want to do emoji vomit face. Yeah. I guess I'll always wonder, but I know I'll never ask. Mm. It sounds like poetry. It's stupid. I don't hate poetry. I do hate poetry. So there you go. That's it. That's me done. What's yours? Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, I'm thinking, yep, no, that's, I've got it, yep, that's it. Uh, I like to see a version of this film where Henry wins at the end. Mark's, Mark ends up framed uh, <laughs> in an institution, his little sweet face. That's mad. That's just too much. I know it is, but it's, it's a change. It's not going to happen, Alex. I can okay. say what I want in this section. Yeah, no, you can. You can. And it's uh, <laughs> strikingly similar to my change on Thursday. <laughs> so that's funny. Good. Uh, well, we are now done. Mm. Uh, no quiz this week. Uh, so that counts as a win for me. Let's look ahead to next week uh, before we start talking about Thursday. So next week, oh, uh, we've got a very special guest coming in the two studio. We uh, hope. Uh, Let's uh, not say it yet. You never know. He's, no, he's confirmed. He's 100%. Okay. He's 100%. I'll announce him on Thursday. Uh, so, um, what is the clue for next week's pairing? Oh, it's a great pairing next week. Here's your clue. You don't fuck with his surrogate family. <laughs> Say it again. You don't fuck with his surrogate family. <laughs> was there brackets in the middle of that <laughs> sentence? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that is your clue for next week's pairing. There'll be another one coming your way on Twitter. You can always check in with us on Twitter, at ClashBot, Instagram, at ClashBot. We're also on TikTok for behind-the-scenes footage and all sorts of other bits and pieces. But that really is it for this episode. Please do tell your friends about it. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on Thursday. If you haven't watched it, it's too late. You probably know the twist from this episode. <laughs> but just, wow, orphan time. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 